0: Themselves are the psalms themselves are mostly lyrical poetry, and that is uh, poetry that has been adapted to be sung by the harp or the lyre. Now, I don't quite know what's happened here. Bear with me one second. Sorry, friends. We seem to have an issue here. My screen. Apologies. The wonders of technology. These psalms then were mostly lyrical poetry. That is, poetry adapted to be sung, accompanied by the harp or the lyre. And they were written over a period of uh, a thousand years. Most of them written in a three hundred year period between 1,000 and 700 BC. They're often called the Psalms of David, but in reality, it's thought that he only wrote about half of them. Approximately one third of the collection of these Psalms are actually anonymously written. The overall book of Psalms, as I'm sure you're aware, is divided into five sections, five complete books, each one closing with a doxology. But if you're happy, to have a copy of the Word of God with you. Perhaps you'd like to turn to Psalm number eleven, and we'll read what the psalmist says in verse number one. I, in the Lord, he says, I take refuge. How then can you say to me, "Flee like a bird to your mountain"? For look. The wicked bend their bows; They set their arrows against the strings to shoot from the shadows at the upright in heart. When the foundations are being destroyed, what can the righteous do? The Lord is in his holy temple. The Lord is on his heavenly throne. He observes everyone on earth. His eyes examine them. The Lord examines the righteous, but the wicked, those who love violence, he hates with a passion. On the wicked he will rain fiery coals and burning sulphur. A scorching wind will be their lot, for the Lord is righteous. He loves justice. The upright will see his face. And I'm sure the Lord will bless the reading of his word to our hearts this evening. This is a psalm of David, which seems to have been written when he lived in the palace of King Saul. There he was in danger of losing his life due to Saul's jealousy. His close friends advise him to flee from the palace, but he seems to lack any clear guidance from God, and so, despite well-intentioned advice, he resolves to stay where he is for the time being. I'd like us to look at uh, this psalm this evening in three sections. First of all, the fearlessness of faith in verses 1 to 3. Secondly, the foundations of faith in verses 4 to 6. And finally, the fruit of faith in verse number 7. First of all, then, the fearlessness of faith. We don't know the exact situation David was facing, but it is clear that it threatened his life. His early years in the palace were extremely difficult. He never knew what to expect. He was always on his guard and trusted no one, certainly not Saul. Saul was extremely jealous of him and sought David's life on more than one occasion. The situation David faced was not of his own making and therefore appears grossly unfair. The situation, whatever it was, seems to be worsening, and his close friends now advise him to flee and hide. These friends are not malicious or scheming, nor do they have any hidden agendas. Their advice is well-intentioned, and they have David's best interests and safety at heart. Their advice is logical, reasonable, sensible, and well thought through. Thus, logic and reason dictate that the most sensible course of action is for David to flee like a bird to the mountain, to lose himself in the hill country. Their reasons for such advice are quite simply that in their opinion, David was not safe where he was. For the wicked had set their arrows on him to shoot at him from the shadows. Now, David didn't know who the enemy were or when or how they would strike or launch their attack on him from the shadows. Later in this book, similar language is used and arrows there are described as bitter words. But it seems unlikely, however, that the young man who had already killed a lion and a bear would run away from those who were merely bad-mouthing him. Whatever nature David is currently experiencing would seem to be far more serious than that. He says in verse number three that the foundations around him are being destroyed. In other words, the foundations on which society is built, mutual trust, honesty, respect, and integrity, and without which it cannot function, are being destroyed and there is nothing that he can do about it. And so David is advised to get out of the firing line, to move on and lie low. Wait for Saul's anger to subside, or even for his death, upon which, of course, David would become king. That would be the most appropriate time to redress the situation. But David's response is extremely interesting. He doesn't minimize the situation, adopt a cavalier attitude, or pretend that there isn't a problem. He clearly recognizes the situation as it is. But the commencement of the psalm clearly indicates that he has already reached his decision concerning any proposed action should take. There's no doubt that this godly man would not have sought God's guidance in this matter. It's clear that he's brought this situation before the Lord, and having sought the mind of God, he declares in the Lord I take refuge. In the Lord I put my trust. He sets aside personal preference and the well-intentioned advice of friends in favour of the will of God. And in the absence of clear guidance, determines to stay where he is and not move on, at least for the time being. As believers, we're not immune to the problems and difficulties of life. Christianity is not a ticket to a trouble-free life. For as long as we are in the world, we will face the difficulties of life. And indeed, the Lord Jesus predicted that this would be the case. In the world, he said, you will have tribulation. Persecution, trouble. The issue is not will we face such issues, but how we address these issues when we face them. These trials are not designed to stumble us, but rather to strengthen us, to test our faith in God and increase our reliance on God. Because victory in times of testing and perseverance in times of difficulty is a question of where we are. Not in terms of geographical location, but rather in terms of attitude of heart. And the Christian's confidence is that they are in the Lord. And so David stayed where he was. And he was as safe in the palace as he would have been in the mountains. He repeats this confidence later in the book of Psalms. In Psalm number 56, in verse number 11, he says, In God I trust, and I'm not afraid. What can man do to me? You see, logic and reason said that the most obvious course of action was to flee like a bird to the mountains. But faith said, stay where you are. Because logic and reason are not always the most accurate measure of a situation. Because they are founded on the fallibility of man. And if followed in isolation, can take us out of the center of God's will for us. And there is no situation more perilous for the believer than being outside the will of God. Logic and reason are therefore fearful because they are founded on the fallibility of man. But faith is fearless. Fearless. For it is founded on the infallibility of God. Dear friends, I've no idea what situation you're currently facing in your family, home, school, college, work, in your personal relationships within the church, or in your personal service for the Lord. But perhaps the pressures, the routine, the apparent lack of success are all getting a bit too much. And you don't feel valued or wanted or useful where you are. And personal preference and well-intentioned advice, logic and reason all say move on. Please like a bird to the mountains. And that may ultimately be the correct decision in time. And moving on is not necessarily wrong or failure. But it might not be the correct decision for now. So let us learn from David. As he writes Psalm 118 verses 8 and 9. He says, it is better to take refuge in the Lord than trust in humans. It is better to take refuge in the Lord than trust in princes. The fearlessness of faith. But in verses four to six, the emphasis of the psalm change. And we focus on the foundations David has complete confidence in God, and he bases his seemingly illogical decision to stay put, basing that on certain foundational truths. His confidence rested on such truths, and these are now brought before us in these three verses. These truths have not changed, and we can have the same confidence in them that David had. And so he says in verse number four, the Lord is in his holy temple. The temple was where the people came to worship God, and there they entered his presence. And this imagery Is a reminder that God dwelt amongst his people. He was amongst them all the time. But particularly in times of crisis. There were not many in Saul's court whom David could trust. He was never sure of the identity of the enemy. Or when they would attack. Or how they would attack. But God could be trusted. David realized that he had at least one ally in Saul's court, and that was God himself. David knew that God wasn't some distant being. He knew him as the omnipresent God, as Jehovah Shammah, as the God who is always there. He knew him as a refuge and strength and an ever-present help in trouble. And such is true today. Thus, whatever situation we are facing, we can be confident that this God is with us and we are not on our own. He is still in his holy temple. And he Can be our refuge and strength and an ever present help in trouble. But he also says in verse number four the Lord is on his heavenly throne. This imagery is a reminder that the throne is the place from which the king rules. And this king's throne is in heaven and he rules over. Everything. He is the Almighty, Omnipotent, All-Powerful God, the Sovereign of the Universe. He is the Creator and Sustainer of everything. And nothing happens in this world that He does not allow. Why should this happen to me? It's not right. It's not fair. It's the attitude of so many today. But we do not read that this was David's attitude. Rather, he realizes that nothing would happen to him that his God did not know about or allow. Because his God was the supreme power throughout the universe. And rules over everything. Now David is not the only one in scripture to learn this lesson. Others like Job learned it too. Hence Job writes in chapter 23 of that book, verse number 11. But he knows the way that I take. And when he has tested me, I shall come forth as gold. Again, in verse number four, David reminds us that his God observes everyone on earth. His eyes examine them. David's God was very much in touch with events on earth. Those who would seek to harm David cannot see God, but he sees them. He is omniscient. He knows everything. And he sees everything. Nothing happens in this world that he does not know about. He cannot be surprised for nothing takes him by surprise. Thus David's confidence in God and his willingness to remain in the palace was based on the fact that God was continually observing him and knew exactly what was happening. To him. And nothing would happen to him that God did not see or allow, because the eye of the Lord is on those who fear him, on those whose hope is in his unfailing love, says Psalm number 33, verse number 18. In verse number 5, David adds a new dimension to the foundations on which his faith is built. He says the Lord examines the righteous, but the wicked, those who love violence, he hates with a passion. David is clear in his theology that God does not treat the righteous and the wicked alike. Just as fire tests the quality of the metal and removes any impurities, so difficult circumstances test the quality of our faith and mould us into the person God wants us to be. The wind may blow against the young tree. But the constant onslaught makes its roots go down deeper, thus making it stronger and able to sustain the gale and any subsequent gales. So the winds of persecution and opposition strengthen the faith of the people of God. As Christians, we will experience situations that will test test our faith, perhaps to the very limit. Employment issues, health issues, financial issues, family issues, at times cause us to question the very existence of God. Does he know? And perhaps more importantly, does he care? On occasions, the way ahead may appear very dark, uncertain, and unending. And our confidence in God and his love and care and concern for us are stretched to the very limit. These are disciplines that God uses to test the quality Of our faith. Although as Hebrews 12 verse number 11 reminds us. They're not always pleasant. But whatever our situation. We can be confident that. God is continually observing. He knows exactly what is happening. And ultimately this refining. Is for our good. And for his glory. In verse number six, he brings an additional dimension into this section. On the wicked, he writes, he, that's God himself, will rain fiery coals and burning sulfur. A scorching wind will be their lot. Although the wicked seemingly prevail, they lie under and will ultimately experience the wrath of God. And as such, their momentary ascendance is far from being an evidence of God's approval. The righteous will always endure fiery trials. But the ungodly wicked are merely base metal. They will not pass through the refiner's fire, but will rather endure the fires of God's judgment Thus, there is no need for David to seek redress against his attackers because vengeance belongs to the Lord alone and he will ensure that righteousness will prevail. A truth emphasized again in the New Testament in Romans chapter 12, verse number 19. We've looked at the fearlessness of faith. We've looked at the foundations of faith. And finally, in verse number seven, David brings before us the fruit of faith. He says, the Lord is righteous. He loves justice. The upright will see his face. David concludes by emphasizing that the Lord is righteous, and therefore he is righteous in all he does. God loves righteousness and hates wickedness. And David is confident, therefore, that right will prevail. The righteous will have their reward, he says. The upright will see his face. The question of why the godly endure difficulties while others seemingly go through life unscathed is one that is repeated throughout the Psalms. It has been asked by successive generations of believers and is still asked by believers today. However, it's not until later in the book that the psalmist understands Not until in Psalm number 73, verses 16 and 17, he is permitted to enter the sanctuary, the place where God dwells. And there he gets a glimpse of their future. And then he understands. We live in the present and can only see in the present. But God's purposes for us go far beyond the present. But we may have to wait until eternity for some of the seeming injustices of the present to be redressed. And so on this occasion, David stays where he is. He accepts the situation he was in. Confident in the knowledge that the Lord was in his holy temple. Confident that the Lord was on his heavenly throne. Confident that he observes everyone on earth and his eyes examine them. Confident that the Lord examines the righteous. That the Lord will rain fiery coals and burning sulfur on the wicked. That the Lord is righteous and loves justice. And that the upright will see his face. As long as the believer is in the world, we will suffer injustices at the hands of the wicked. Such circumstances should be accepted as being from the Lord. It is unwise to take matters into our own hands in an attempt to redress the situation. Human advice and logic and reason, however well intended, should be regarded with caution. Such advice is no substitute for placing trust trusting God. But we can confidently face the situation before us, knowing that God is aware of our situation. He is with us in it, and he has allowed it for our good and for his glory. He may deliver us from it, but more often he takes us through it. And we can be certain that because God is righteous, righteousness will ultimately triumph, if not in this life, then most certainly in the life to come. These foundational truths have not and will not change so we may exercise the same confidence in our God as David did in his. And when trials and difficulties come upon our lives, may we have that same confidence to take refuge in the Lord. May the Lord bless his word to our hearts this evening. Jonathan, thank you.